Hey, hey everyone. Happy Sunday and welcome back to the Single Mother's Guide to the Galaxy podcast. Okay, first of all, let's um, just put a really big shout out there and just, you know, I hope that you are all safe and well and surviving lockdown and I'm sending you all my warmest thoughts and best wishes. Um, now, for a quick roll call, we haven't done this for a while. So a massive thank you um, to our audience um, across the globe. You guys seem to be everywhere. I just had a quick look at the analytics. And um, again, now this is in order of um, audience. Um, so thank you to listeners in Australia, United States, Finland, Germany, New Zealand, Sweden, India, United Arab Emirates, Ireland, Canada, the UK, Turkey, Philippines, Brazil, South Africa, Spain, and Singapore. Thanks, guys. I honestly really do appreciate it. Now, just while I've got your attention, I just wanted to let you know I signed my contract with um, a publisher today for my upcoming fabulously witty book, Welcome to My Fabulous Shit Show. Um, And don't forget, you can always purchase my other book on every single online bookstore known to man. Actually, I think it's even on eBay. Um, Don't know how, but anyway. But yes, all you need to do is you can just... um, if you don't know the title, I'll give you a hint. Just Google single mother and Mel W and it should appear like a genie out of a bottle. Actually, no, it's a lamp, right? Oh God, I always get these things so wrong. But while I'm here, I'm also going to do a really quick shout out to Sydney Sentinel. Please check out this progressive online publication. It has actually everything and anything you could imagine and it's like some great people on there um also hills tv um they're really producing some great guests who are going on and um christina over there from social hills you're doing an amazing job well done um so yeah make sure you guys get a little familiar with those two but you know what for today's podcast all right it's going to be all about totally useless yet interesting facts and what fears say about you and anything else that comes to mind. It's so vague, I'm sorry. But basically, it's just a lot of facts and what they say about you. Um, Look, I don't really know um, if you will find them useful, but I didn't really, but I just thought they were interesting. So stay tuned and I'll be back. All right, guys, thank you. Hey, hey, and welcome back to our random facts. I'm not going to stop calling them useless because they might become useful, you know. Um, Okay, so your eating habits. A psychologist that was specializing in food behavior and a behavioral expert actually reported in the HuffPost that food-related behaviors actually tell us a lot about people's personality. So, you know, it's not just you are what you eat, but it's also that science is suggesting you're also how you eat. You are how you eat. So slow eaters, they say, you know, they're basically, they're usually people who like to be in control and know how to appreciate life. They say, you know, you've got the fast eaters who tend to be quite ambitious and impatient adventurous eaters so these are the people that will eat everything and anything put before them um and this isn't doesn't mean like it's environment so you know if you're overseas somewhere and you're a bit funny about the food you're not quite sure this doesn't apply this is in your normal everyday environment so these guys here if they're adventurous they're thrill seekers and they're risk takers 
the picky eaters are likely to exhibit anxiety and um, could be slightly neurotic apparently. Um, and people who separate different foods on their plate are very cautious and detailed, um, detail orientated in their everyday life. That, and I find that one's really interesting because if I go to a restaurant and there's like a whole stack of food in the middle of the table, I will not mix my food. I will not let the food touch. So when it goes on my plate, I could have like six little mounds sitting on my plate. Um, I don't know, yeah, I don't go deliberately out to separate it. Like if I go to a um, takeout store or something and they'll always say, do you want rice with your meal? Unless it comes in a separate container, I will refuse to. I just cannot handle the fact that food has been slopped, like, you know, on top of my, on top of rice it just yeah i don't i don't like it it's too messy um oh, this is going to be interesting <laughs> i might find out some colorful facts about myself okay now guys did you know and this is this one's really interesting yeah this one made it they are interesting facts i don't know how useful but listen to this a therapist in the u.s claims that she can learn about your personality based on whether you hang your toilet paper in the overhand or underhand position so she like surveyed 2,000 people on their preference and as well on, on a scale of one to ten she asked them how they were in their relationships now this is what the survey revealed those people who prefer to overhand their toilet paper, the method um, of how they hang their toilet paper is the overhand, are actually more dominant. While the underhanders tended to be more submissive in their relationships. So um, guys and girls, next time you go to someone's house, check out how they hang their toilet paper and you'll know how your relationship's going to work out. Um, no, actually, I just made that up, but you never know. Um, okay, so the next one is, listen to this one, you are the way you walk. Men's Health magazine had an article that your stroll reveals your personality. So if you walk with your weight forward, say, with a quick stride, you're extremely productive and highly logical. If you have your chest forward, but your shoulders back and your head is held high, you're fun, charismatic, socially adept, but you do tend to hog the spotlight. Now, if you walk with your weight and it's over your legs, so basically you're not forward or back, or back um, you prefer people more than you do doing tasks. You are probably more focused on your personal life than your career. Unfortunately, you're easily distracted in group activities. So yeah, I'm gonna start looking at the way people walk next time I'm at work and we have to do like breakout groups. <laughs> um, now, twinkle toes. If you're light on your toes when you walk, but your eyes are glued to the floor, it actually, well, I don't know if it's actual, but it says that that person is more likely to be introverted and polite. But listen to this one. So the Journal of Interpersonal Violence published that jail inmates with psychotic ten psycho psychopathic sorry tendencies were able to judge vulnerability and pick potential victims simply by viewing the way people walked. So moral of the story, if you guys, anyone out there gets arrested, consider adopting a more sort of assertive walking style. But I hope no one gets arrested. It's just I don't know why I said that. Um, okay, another one. So journal, okay, there's this journal of research and personality and what they actually said was timeliness is an accurate assessment of um, positive character traits. So it's basically what your punctuality says about you. So what they did was they um, looked at participants, they asked them to do a personality assessment at home and then to come to the lab for a group experiment. And this is what they analysed 
by you know of the t- the participants based on the time of the arrival and um, their assessment. Punctual people were more conscientious and um, agreeable in the group, whereas the ones that were early um, appeared to be quite anxious and neurotic. And um, chronically late people tend to be more laid back. Hmm, do you think that's true? I'm really curious now. Okay, now this one, shoes. What your shoe choices apparently say about you. Now, this is in the Journal of Research and Personality. They published a story that suggests you can read someone's personality based on their footwear. So the questionnaire basically gauged the age, income, and attachment of um, an attachment anxiety of someone based on their shoes, right? This is what came out. People who wear comfortable shoes tend to be relatively agreeable. Ankle boots are generally worn by those who are more aggressive. Oh, I've got a few pairs of those ones. Um, wearing uncomfortable shoes implies that you're more you're a more calm person. I don't know, like everyone wears stilettos and they're not comfortable, they just look hot. Um, now, well-maintained footwear actually said that um, that these people are more like have a bit of a persona that's a little clingy and anxious now the well-maintained footwear i'm guessing that's not brand new out of the box it's just someone that likes their shoes polished often um let's have a look what else do we have here i think we've got uh handwriting okay listen to this one did you know that analyzing handwriting right and how it relates to your personality has been a science since the day of aristotle so there was this article in business in in the business insider and it actually said that experts can detect more than 5,000 personality traits based on your little scrawl. They can. So this is what they came out with. People who write large are people-orientated and attention-seeking types. Those with small handwriting tend to be more introverted and are capable of acute concentration. Some of those pe- some people who write, who do who they write with a slight a slight right slant means they're friendly and impulsive. A left slant means they're reserved and individualistic. Now, no slant suggests that you're logical and pragmatic. And I don't have a slant. Ooh. Now, heavy pressure indicates that you have strong emotions and are quick to react. Light pressure implies an easiness and ability to move from place to place. See guys, how is that? Not too painful, I trust. Anyway, let's take a break and come back and I'm going to do other stuff and ask you, did you know? Um, So stay tuned, everyone. Okay, you're back and thank you for coming back. So let's get into the next bit, the other stuff, the did you know stuff. So I'm going to look at dishing up the dirt. Did you know, right, that your dirt reveals whether there are more men or women in the household because the sexes shed different types of bacteria and that by examining the fungi in your dust, scientists can also predict where in the country you live down to about, I think it's like 240 kilometer range crazy but true um now let's have a look what your front door says about you and this is according to color experts they say that a red front door means you're not afraid to say what you think a blue door says you're naturally at ease in most situations a green door um basically tells everyone that your traditional values 
and black door well it means you're probably consistent and reserved inside the home extroverts tend to open up um well they tend to choose um, more open and spacious furniture layouts and if people are introverted that they're probably likely to decorate with soft solid solid colors and muted patterns didn't know that i have to go check out my friend's house and i'm gonna go look at their i'm gonna go stalk everyone i know on facebook to look at the furniture behind them <laughs> sad but true um okay so how often are you intimate listen to this one right so a british survey revealed that if you have purple decor you have nearly double the intimacy of people with gray bedding walls or furniture I know, purple rabbits, it sounds like. <laughs> but if you have reds and pinks, you're also, um, you also seem to spice things up. Whilst um, beige and white may inhibit intimacy. Do you reckon that's true? I'm trying to think, I'm actually looking at my room and it actually looks like I'm a little bipolar then because I've got like a grey bed and then I've got uh, white sheets and pillows and pink um, bedspreads and everything. So mm, I don't know what that says. Now, there's this other thing, right? Did you know that your socks reveal the type A within? So one survey found that orderly and detailed people tend to have the messiest sock drawers. I wonder if that's true because like we don't even have socks here. Actually, we do have socks. We can just never find them because they do have sock drawers, but then they just throw stuff everywhere. So I don't know. Um, but they also hypothesize that people who are meticulous are more likely to spend time prioritizing and organizing more important parts of their life. So let's have a look here. How lonely are you? Hmm. So a Yale University study, it actually found that people who take longer showers and baths are more likely to feel lonely and isolated because actually the researchers actually believe that subconsciously um, these guys use hot baths and showers as a substitute for emotional warmth. Mm. Oh, but maybe you're just cold. I don't know. And you like hot water and a lot of it. Not sure about that one. But, um, okay, let's look at this one. The rare, okay, what is the rarest natural hair color and eye color combination in the world i'll tell you what it is so the title of the rarest hair color and eye color combination actually belongs to the red-haired folks who have blue eyes so what happened was um according to medical daily they said that both blue eyes and red hair are actually recessive traits so the likelihood of both traits appearing together is actually pretty slim actually i think dated a guy with like red hair and blue eyes maybe he had green eyes not sure um okay so they what they actually said is that red hair alone occurs with a frequency of one to two percent of the human population whereas blue eyes occur in approximately 17 percent of the human population and what they're saying is that technically this would mean that 0.17 percent of the world's population have the red hair and blue eye combination what does that mean? That's probably about 13 million people of the world within the world's population. So yeah, it is pretty rare actually. Now, let's check this one out. Speaking of blue eyes. Okay, so what they actually said that if you have blue eyes, you're actually related to a lot more people than you thought. I don't know. Okay, go with me on this. I'm still getting my head around this one a little bit. So basically they say that all eye color is the same like 
and that's because the pigment that is what gives us our eye color so which is melanin so it's, it's actually naturally brown so this professor from the University of Copenhagen was saying to Science Daily that he thinks originally we all have brown eyes but somewhere along the way so we all had brown eyes apparently once upon a time but then somewhere along the way um, someone was born with a genetic mutation and that genetic mutation limited the amount of melanin that you know went into the person's um, eyes and how much they could produce and that's what gave them the visual effect of appearing to have eyes that are blue rather than brown what they actually okay this is where it gets a bit tricky so blue eyes descend from a single genetic mutation which means that every single person on the planet with blue eyes descended from one common ancestor they say that the team of geneticists in um, the University of Copenhagen actually traced that mutation all the way back to a single Danish family check that out see i told you it's totally useless facts right i'm trying to say i wouldn't say it but it's quite interesting now the other bit the other one i've got is the rarest personality type in the world okay so for those of you who haven't done the myers-briggs where have you been like seriously you must do one um they're, they're actually free tests online and it's honestly i've i've actually asked like even when i do it with my friends it's so interesting to see you know what personality trait comes back um with them i've asked ex-boyfriends and i should have seen it as a red flag when they told me what they got <laughs> just kidding <laughs> um you know or people that you know i'm really quite into or i like hanging out with i'm like hey do this test you know and then you compare and it's kind of interesting to see how it comes out so basically what you do, you answer um, a, you know, a number of questions um, and it determines the level of like your extroversion versus introversion, sensing versus intuition, thinking versus feeling, judging versus perceiving. Now with the Myers-Briggs um, indicator test, it actually revealed, okay, so here it is, the rarest personality type in the world. So if you do this test and you get it, you're rare. You're, you're fitting in within 1.5% of the general population fit into this category. It is INFJ. So this personality is more introverted, intuitive, feeling, and judging. So in other words, I guess you could say they're a bit, they're a bit reserved, but they're very loyal friends and make strong empathetic leaders um you know they're moral and persistent and they see the glass half full so guys you should they're known as the counselors so and they're very good listeners according to the results of this test but what i want you to do have a go at it because i actually did it and i came up with enfj which is the protagonist um apparently i feel like i'm called to serve some big greater purpose in life i'm thoughtful and idealistic um and strive to have a positive impact on other people and you know the world around me um but it's said that you know gifts in this area are idealism determination and the ability to envisage a better future um and that we're committed um i don't know to using those gifts to serve a greater purpose but more importantly because <laughs> i just like to see who else has got the same personality type as me um in my club i had oprah barack obama ben affleck john kuzak but most importantly, Morpheus from The Matrix. How's that? <laughs> this, like, guys, have a go at it. Like, it is really good. And it actually gives you, like, um, 
this result sort of report. So you get a report on it and the report actually says, um, like it gives you, it breaks it down for you. So it'll be like mind. So say you've got mind like extroverted versus introverted and that's like determines on how you interact in your environment so you know and it gives you the scoring so mine was like 91 percent introvert extroverted sorry obviously um and then it's got the energy so that's the trait that shows where you direct your mental energy mine was 66 percent was intuitive over observant um as to being only 34 percent observant now it's got nature here and this is the trait that determines how we make decisions and cope with our emotions so i got i was heavily more in the feeling area i got 63 percent was feeling over the 37 percent part of thinking tactics that's the trait that reflects your approach to work planning decision making mine was 71 percent is judging 29 percent was prospecting and this is the, <laughs> the catch one the identity so this is the trait that underpins all others showing how confident you are in your ability and decisions I got 88% assertive over 12% turbulent. So guys, you'll just do it for a bit of fun. But, you know, um, a lot of workplaces actually do it as part of the recruitment process. So it might be good to familiarize yourself with it if you haven't already done it. Okay, stay tuned because we're coming up to the last section, which is some things about what your fee factor says about you. Thanks, guys. Hey, hey, and welcome back to the last leg of the Single Mother's Guide to the Galaxy. Okay, we're going to head into Fear Factor right now. And our first fear and what it says about you. Apparently, if you have a fear of clowns, it means that you value honesty. Apparently, um, you know, they, it actually, according to an article in the Scientific American, they said that the um, clowns are portrayed as tricksters, right? So what that means is that reading facial expressions has long been a key survival and our inability to um you know i guess discern a clown's expression and all their true intentions underneath what covers their face it actually raises automatic suspicions now believe it or not nearly one in ten adults actually have a phobia of clowns there is a name for the phobia but i cannot pronounce it and i'm not even going to try so just Google it if you will. Um, but what it does say is that people who are afraid of clowns tend to pride themselves on their honesty, transparency, and straightforwardness. So, you know, that's um, pretty interesting that, um, yeah, that a fear of clowns would mean that you value honesty. Well, makes sense, I guess. Okay, a fear of blood. Apparently, it means that you're calm and collective. So, I caught, which, as you know, so people that, um, actually have a fear of um a phobia we could say of blood uh, hemophobia so the diagnostic uh, the diagnostic and statistical manual of mental disorders it actually groups this fear as a blood injection injury phobia so apparently okay so there was this um neuroscientist and he sort of, he basically said that fainting at the sight of blood um is actually might be like contributed to a it's a primitive reflex buried deep in our brain because basically what happens is you see blood the first thing you do is you associate blood with something is wrong and automatically it'll send a danger signal to your brain now what it actually says about the type of person with this phobia 
is that they have a strong protective instinct and um, tend to be quite the cool, calm and collected one in the social group. So, yeah, interesting. What's next? Fear of snakes. Oh, my God, they are so ugly. They're so gross. I'd rather die than come across one. So if you have a fear of snakes, apparently you are the type to stand up for others. Um, Now, what it actually says is that in psychology of today, in psychology today, there's a scientific theory, right, that apparently humans and other primates um, basically have it inbuilt or they're predisposed to, a, to acquire fears of critters that actually once threatened our ancestors' lives. So they think it's just passed down through, our, um, through how we're built. Um, but what it does say apparently about people um, who have a fear of snakes is um, that they tend to value um, people and relationships that are around them. They're definitely uh, not one to lay low in arguments and they tend to stick up for others and stand their ground as a loyal friend. Um, by the looks of it too, they say that they have quite a fiery temper. Now, our next one is a fear of spiders. Ooh, what does this mean? Okay, so fear of spiders apparently means that you're a leader. Um, And it's actually one of the most common phobias in existence. So it actually said that um, past research um, basically indicated that spiders posed um, such a prevalent um, threat to like the survival of the first human and the ability to locate them became evolutionary evolutionarily um, necessary. What is wrong with my mouth today? <laughs> Seriously, I didn't get it together. Um, so basically what it says, it just became this necessity that has been passed down that you need to be able to locate a spider really quickly. Why can I just say that? Um, so, And scientists seem to use this um, rationale like to explain why people still to this day are shrieking when they see like the harmless household spider. So what it says, apparently, according to these people, um, that people who have a fear of spiders are really are ultimate. They have a deep rooted tendency to lead and survive. And that's because of their acute awareness. Apparently your acute awareness and your ability to react um, is a rooted tendency to lead and survive. Now, let's look at the next one, a fear of dark, of the dark. Hmm. Okay, so apparently the fear of dark, a fear of the dark, God, thank God we're on our last leg on this one, can I just say, um, means that you're creative. Apparently, according to Medical Daily, they said researchers believe that it stems from a genetic encoding that has hardwired us to avoid predators at night. So cognitively speaking, the abnormal and the persistent, you know, the persistent dread of the dark is linked to the fear of the unknown, which is similar to the fear of having like um, deep water, you know, because it's the unknown. So what it actually says, they think the people that have a fear of the dark have an overactive imagination because their brain automatically formulates an image with nothing provided. Oh, so, you know, basically it says when the lights go out, your imagination kicks in and you produce a mental image to fill in the blanks. Unfortunately, unfortunately, it's usually one that replicates something scary. So guys, that was my mini fear factor session. Um, I've been attending quite a few trivia events. Maybe I should take these with me. Um, Look, I want you guys to have a great fortnight. I'll be back in two weeks. But thank you again for tuning into the Single Mother's Guide to the Galaxy. And um, 
yeah, I wish you all well and um, feel free to go and um, to send, leave messages on any of the podcasts or you can go to the website and leave me a message or you can go and send me a message on Instagram at Miss Mel W. Um, yeah, stay in contact and um, bye guys. See you in two weeks.